0: It is our hope that you will prayerfully listen to this sermon audio.
1: We're going to be talking about foolishness and character today as we continue our parenting series. And uh, one of the the key themes that I want to hit on uh, during these next few minutes together is uh, the need to go deeper than surface level. Uh, This applies to a myriad of factors in life. You know, let's consider housing. So in this crazy housing situation we live in, or for really anyone who's ever bought a house or even just been on Zillow, the need to go beyond the surface. So you see the posting. Oh, that's a reasonable price. Exterior looks good. Sure, it says as is, but you know, that's fine. We We can make that work until you get to the interior photos and the horrors that await you therein. But again, not just housing, there's a TV show. So if anyone enjoys the spy thriller, you think everything is starting to finally wrap up and come to a close until the bomb drops and you realize that she was actually a double agent the whole time, and everything changes. Or even as simple as you go to the grocery store and you think, oh, this sports drink must be healthy. It's for athletes. Until so you read the back of the label and you realize that that bottle has more than double your daily recommended amount of sugar in it. Point is... In much of life, we must go deeper than the surface. Rarely can we settle for the superficial, and that certainly holds true when it comes to parenting. Uh, As parents, we must be willing to dig deeper if we are to truly understand what's going on in our children. And then for all of us, because not all of us are parents, all of us have been children of parents, we need to reflect on and deeply consider our relationship with our parents. And then just beyond the parenting dynamic, we as humans, we shouldn't be satisfied with just superficial, surface-level, shallow relationships with one another. So I want to look at the theme of foolishness today, through three lenses, the three different levels, going deeper along the way, trying to figure out whether or not our children are foolish, uh, where that foolishness comes from, and what can be done about it. So the main point I want to focus on today is children are foolish, but God rescues fools. We're going to split our time by looking at actions, heart, and worship. So uh, let's start with prayer, and then we'll dive in, shall we? Lord, it's good to be in your presence and to be singing your praises with your people. God, is a delight and a joy. And so as we turn now to your word and the themes that you teach us, I ask for open ears. God, that you would humble me, move me out of the way and speak directly to those who are present, that we might glorify you, that we might love you better and be more like Jesus by the time we're done. Father, we love you and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So first point, first level, recognizing their foolishness, looking at actions. Uh, As we begin this descent, we want to start on the surface um, and try to ask the question, is the claim that I started, children are foolish, is that true? Is that a true claim? Can we verify that? Do children act in such a way that proves that there is foolishness within them? Yes. Yes. Why? Well, there's a, a phenomenal book by Greg Pembroke called uh, Reasons My Kid Is Crying. It's, it's hilarious. Here's just a few. I told him he looked handsome. His sister asked to give him a kiss. It was raining outside. It wasn't raining outside. It was wet because it had been raining outside. <laughs> Yes, children are foolish. It doesn't take much for us to recognize that our children do foolish things all the time. And and lest we pick on the young children, um, does any adult here want to voluntarily show off their middle or high school wardrobe? No. (laughs) Children are foolish. And while that foolishness does have a humorous aspect to it, it's a serious problem. Let's open to Proverbs 10, where Miss Sharon read earlier to, to get started. Uh, I want us to see the severity of foolishness, uh, and the reason why I want to focus on that is because I think oftentimes we're tempted to underestimate it. You know, we we laugh at the foolishness of toddlers. We roll our eyes at the arrogance or the self-sufficiency or seeming self-sufficiency of teenagers, uh, We exclude, or sorry, we excuse the blunders of our own children when they first become parents, but foolishness can and does have deadly consequences. I want to read through just a series of Proverbs, so kind of loosen up your fingers, because we'll be moving through this book, um, just to see the severity of foolishness. So we'll start in Proverbs 10, verse 8. The wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Now flip to Proverbs 11, verse 29. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. Let's go to 14.3. By the mouth of a fool comes a rod for his back, but the lips of the wise will uh, preserve them. Uh, 17.21, a couple pages he who sires a fool gets himself sorrow and the father of a fool has no joy and then we'll just do one more uh, 26 verse 1 proverbs 26 verse 1 like snow in summer or rain in harvest so honor is not fitting for a fool now th- There are many more Proverbs speaking to foolishness that we could talk to, but I hope these just give a bit of a picture as to how big a deal this subject is. The fool, we're told, will come to ruin, be a servant of others, receive beatings, give his father sorrow, steal joy, and be without honor. So the foolishness of our children is not something to be laughed at. It is a major problem to be addressed. I want to give three reasons why this is such a danger. So first, Foolishness comes from the inside. Sure, it expresses itself through actions, but it doesn't come from those actions. Which is to say, you can't keep your child from foolishness if you simply keep them from doing these things, or away from those friends, or stop them from watching that show, or, or, or anything that's external. Uh, because again, it comes from the internal. Uh, Paul Tripp, in the parenting book that we're working off of, makes this. Uh, connection to the dangers therein of monastic parenting which is something that he uh well here let me just define it it's a it's when you take your family and try to form a monastery of your own to close yourselves off from the wicked world around you and that if i can just do that well then my kids will be fine no they won't because the problems come from within not just without That does not by any means uh, communicate that you as your parents should not protect them from the fallen world in which we live, but I don't want you thinking that you can keep them from all danger just by external control. There may well be wisdom in pursuing Christian education, restricting TV access, limiting what they can access on their phone, or even just not giving them a phone. But don't think that successful parenting is simply a combination of these things. If I just get the, the formula right, then everything will work out perfectly. Because no, people are the problem. We all are the problem. And so for our kids, their greatest danger resides inside themselves, not outside of them. second reason foolishness is such a danger is that it can be hard to recognize up close. Foolishness can be hard to recognize up close. Sure, it's, it, it can be easy to, to point out the kid having just an absolute meltdown in the middle of the mall and say ah foolishness but can we do the same with our own family or, or biblically we can look at the foolish man in jesus's parable who built his house on the sand and be like that foolish guy why didn't he build it on the rock well do you think he thought he was being foolish in that moment you see in the same way that sin blinds so too does foolishness And nowhere is this more clear than in our third reason that foolishness is such a danger. It affects us too. We, parents, are just as sinful as our kids, just not as cute, and we are equally as prone to foolishness as our kids. So let me ask you, moms and dads or grandparents, have you ever blown up at your child over something trivial? They forgot to unload the dishwasher, left their shoes out, broke something, stayed up too late, and... You just go off on them? And I'm not saying just yelling, throwing, all that, but cutting, hurtful words, whatever going off for you looks like. Have you ever had that kind of post-response clarity and gone, what was I thinking? That This was so meaningless, and yet I reacted in such a way. At least personally, parenting provides just <laughs> numerous opportunities for me to display my own foolishness. And when I respond to my child's foolishness with my own foolishness, well, I'm neither loving them nor glorifying God in my parenting. So how many of those proverbs that we just read could apply to you? How prone are you to foolishness? Because that's not something you age out of. Just look at Scripture and the numerous examples we have. The foolishness of Noah or Solomon or Jonah or Peter or many more and foolishness is not something that can be solved externally by merely dealing with the actions. Actions allow us to recognize it. They help us to point it out and name it, but we must go deeper. So let's move on to point two, sourcing their foolishness. Let's look at the heart. Um, and so Tripp, in his book, will use heart and character language simultaneous, simultaneously. I'm just going to focus on heart um, for this section, um, Because with our children, we're we're never simply dealing with their words or their actions or their attitudes. We're we're always dealing with what's behind them as well and what controls those things, the, the source, which is their heart. And this is why exclusively external change is never enough. It's like putting your finger in a broken pipe. Now, I think we've all seen enough cartoons to know that, yes, that might stop the flow of water for a moment, but just give it a matter of seconds and the pipe's going to burst and it's going to be far worse off than it was when we began. Your child's words, actions, attitudes, all of that, they all flow from whatever is in their hearts, which means that all of your child's blank problems are first heart problems. They're not angry simply because they didn't make the team. It's because of what is in their hearts. And they didn't lie about what they did simply because they just wanted to deceive you. They they lied because of what is in their hearts. So stay in Proverbs, but go back to uh, to chapter 4. I want to see the significance that Scripture places on the heart, especially in this context. And as we read it, I want you to listen for the two parts of this verse. What we are supposed to do and then why we are supposed to do it. So Proverbs 4.23, what we're to do and why we're to do it. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So what are we to do? We are to diligently keep, guard, watch over, be aware of our hearts. And why? Well, because from it flow the springs of life. So your child's heart must be your target when you approach them, not just their actions. Here's an example of what this looks like. Uh, David in his sin in, uh, in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. Uh, so uh, David's king over Israel, and Israel is at war with the Ammonites. Uh, it was the time of year when the kings went out to war, but David says, nah, I'm good. And he stays home while he lets all of his uh, soldiers go fight his battles for him. That's for another day. But he's, a, he's chilling in Jerusalem, and he's on the roof one day, and then he peeps this bathing married woman. And he calls her to himself, sleeps with her, and then has her husband killed to cover up the fact that he got her pregnant. Now, I hope we know that none of us can hide anything from God, and so the Lord sends his prophet Nathan to confront David about his sin. And how he does so is incredibly significant, because God doesn't have Nathan tell David, hey, you did a bad thing, and you need to be punished for doing a bad thing. Go to your room. No. He has Nathan tell David a a parable, and he uses that parable to get David to see the state of his heart that led to the actions that he committed. And this causes David to break down into full repentance as opposed to saying, okay, I won't do that bad thing anymore. No, he's, he's broken. He's cut to his heart. Here's David's prayer in light of this in Psalm 51. David prays, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Is this how you approach your children? Do you understand that true change comes through the heart, not merely behavioral modification? Do you acknowledge that there is more going on in your child than meets the eye? And then do you help them see that too? Because I I feel like one of the most wasteful questions in all of history is, why did you do that? Because I don't know if I've ever seen that question answered with anything other than a, Uh, eh? or some varying degree of that response. Your kids don't know why they did what they did. There are forces at work that go deeper than their consciousness, and it is your job as their parents to help them understand that. Unless you think I'm giving kids a pass by that, just read Romans 7 about what Paul says. You know, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to, and I don't know why. This is messy and complicated, and your kids need your help to get deeper. And understand what's going on this is the reason why things like threats or manipulation or guilt never lead to lasting genuine heart change because well, they just bypass the heart altogether and just strong arm the child into obedience so my encouragement to you is when it's time to discipline your children see those opportunities as god-given chances to speak to their hearts to help open their eyes to what's going on beneath the surface and give them a chance to respond at that level. Now, I'm going to be super clear here. I am aware of how challenging this can be. In the heat of the moment when they are just blatantly being disrespectful and they're smiling as they're doing it, the last thing on, or maybe that's just my kids, I don't know, the last thing on my mind is to pause, take a breath, and have a deep conversation about where their heart is at and why that led them to do what they did. Now a large reason for that is my own heart is fueling my actions and my heart is selfish and self-centered. I just want them to go to sleep or to stop hitting each other or to listen to me for once. But that's not how God handles my problems. He doesn't settle for temporary external change. He doesn't just yell because he's bigger than me. He goes after my heart, just like he did for David in Samuel passage we talked about and he doesn't simply do this well when he's in a good mood or when you know his church has been going through a parenting series so he's going to try harder this week no he does it all the time have you ever thought about how many opportunities God gives you for heart reflection how he never says you know all right look we've been working on this for like two weeks now I'm done you're on your own never God is patient with us And he lovingly uses each moment of discipline, each instance of our failure to provide us an opportunity to repent, to turn from our sins, and to draw our hearts closer to him. The ultimate expression of this is captured beautifully in what he says in Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You see, you... Me, our kids, all of us, apart from the gracious work of God, have hearts of stone. We are foolish, sinful, selfish people, every one of us. And so as we've seen that addressing foolishness from the surface, you know, what we do, that doesn't work. In a real sense, neither does getting to the heart level. Sure, it's it's better But ultimately, we're just going to come down on, oh, well, you did this because your heart is sinful and it's as hard as stone. And the problem with that is we can't fix that. We can't fix our own hearts, let alone another person's heart. No amount of self-reflection or commitment or willpower or anything can change a sinful heart of stone into a heart of flesh only one thing that can do that the grace of god so let's turn there to our third point overcoming their foolishness worship beneath the actions beneath even the heart is worship Uh, pastor brian did a wonderful job last week of making the point that every human being is a worshiper so if you weren't able to catch that i'll point you to our website or to our youtube page so you can Um, but when we understand that we are all worshipers, well, that helps us understand what's fueling our hearts and then our actions. Uh, Scripture makes this connection repeatedly. Let me just read Psalm 53, 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. This is massively significant. That that points right to the foundation of foolishness, a denial of God, a, a failure of worship. You see, because each and every one of us is a worshiper, our hearts constantly live under the rule of someone or something. Every one of us. When that someone or that something is anyone or anything other than God, well, then we have a worship problem. And when we have a worship problem, we have a heart problem. When we have a heart problem, we have an action problem. Let me give some examples. Uh, If I worship at the altar of acceptance of having friends who think highly of me, well, then that's going to affect my heart and in turn affect how I act. So I might blow up at my parents for not letting me go to that party on Friday night. Not ultimately because I just have to go to that party and just everything about it is... No, well, the reason why I'm going to blow up is because not going to that party might jeopardize my acceptance. And well, to me, that's unacceptable because that's the thing that I worship. Or, Or again... Say, I reject what my mother has made for dinner. I refuse to eat it. Why? Oh, well, because for me, I worship at the altar of physical appearance. I refuse to gain even a pound. And, well, that dish looks like it has a whole bunch of cholesterol in it, so I'm not going to eat it. You see how what we worship fills our hearts and then flows out into our actions, This is why we must go beyond behavior modification and even heart management to worship realignment. Because as we've seen, the only solution to this problem is God himself and the grace he gives. The only solution to your child's worship of, to use PB's language from last week, false gods is to introduce them to the one true God to point them to this glorious God who spoke the heavens and earth into existence, who, who loved them so much that despite their sin, he sent his own son to die the death they should have died, to pay the penalty for their sins. And then who, who raised that son to new life, offering the same new life to all who would turn from their sins and believe in him, to, to that God. you get nothing from today get this right here how you point your child to god is at the highest level of importance in parenting how you point your child to god is at the highest level of importance for your parenting whether through reading scripture or bringing them to church or praying with them or even making God connections in the world at large, using the wonderfully good gifts of his common grace to show them that God is, is big and amazing and kind and beautiful and loving. It, telling them that that he's the one who made ice cream so delicious. That was God's idea. He's the one who created the sun to warm their skin on a summer day like today. He's the source of the beauty of flowers and trees and all that's in creation. Now, I don't want you to get the idea that, oh, so what you're telling me is all I have to do is just bring my kids to church, tell them God made the sun and I'm golden for parenting? No. Because none of these things come naturally to your children. You you can't just spit a handful of Bible verses at them and expect everything to take care of itself because it is far more natural for them to deny the existence of God than to recognize it. So, So get creative. Find as many ways as you can to point your child to God. See what sticks, see what doesn't. You know your kids. And then trust that God in his timing will open their eyes to him. Now for the record, if you do want kind of a a one-shot here, the best way to do that is to worship him well yourself. To to model for them how to respond to God. To, To form your life. Around true worship of God, because I guarantee they're watching you like a hawk the whole time. I want to start to close uh, where we began this morning uh, with the seriousness of foolishness, but I want to connect it to, to worship. So let's turn to Romans 1. It'll be the last passage that we turn to today. In this uh, first chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans, he well he, he kind of splits it in half um, he he describes the unrighteousness of people apart from God and then what that unrighteousness leads to but for our purposes I want to focus in on the why they are unrighteous uh, what the foundation of that unrighteousness is um, so we're we're going to read what their unrighteousness looks like but see if you can pick up the, the why, the, the source of that uh, we'll start in verse 29 one of the chief aspects of this unrighteousness by the way is foolishness so here's Romans 1 29 they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness evil covetousness malice they are full of envy strife deceit maliciousness they are gossips slanderers haters of God insolent haughty boastful inventors of evil disobedient to parents foolish faithless heartless ruthless though they know God's righteous decree that those who pat practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Did you catch it? It was kind of hinted at in verse 29, but if we skip back up to, to 25, it'll be even more clear as to why they have this foolishness. Well, why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen their unrighteousness problem was a result of their worship problem. So is our kids. So is ours. If we want to experience genuine, lasting change, we need new hearts. And new hearts come from the only one who deserves our worship, who through the blood of Jesus is ready and waiting with arms open wide to receive us with grace upon grace for all this is how god rescues fools he saves them from their foolishness from their sin at such a deep level that it causes a chain reaction through their entire being because he draws them into right worship of himself their hearts begin to become aligned with his heart and their actions begin to become aligned with his actions so has this begun in you or are you still living for something else? Are you okay with your kids living for something else? So long as it's acceptable in your eyes, of course. You know, sure, you you can miss church for sports. I, I don't want you going to Bible study until you have perfected your homework. Hey, look, as long as you're not breaking the law, I'm not going to ask questions. Or even, you know... Okay, if if you don't want to tell your kids, my grandchildren, about Jesus, that's up to you. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, I don't know if you or your kids have ever uttered that phrase verbatim, but do you or do they practically deny his existence in the way that you live day in and day out? Is God just a hobby for you? something to do with your Sunday mornings to to make you feel good or to please your family or to, to check a box. Your children are foolish. They are sinful to their core. Their only hope is Jesus Christ who died so we can be forgiven, who came back from the dead so we can live forever and who sent his Holy Spirit so that we can follow him as our king. Will you point them to him? Seeing their actions, not as things unto themselves, but as flowing from their hearts, and their hearts being filled by what they worship. Will you point them to right, true worship of the only God? And not just your children. Brothers and sisters, we are part of a church family here. We are a covenant community. And so, as you see other children or other Christians, will you point one another to Him? Will you take opportunities to have spiritual conversations with one another, to encourage one another, to say, hey, here's something I've seen God doing in my life this week. What's he been teaching you lately? Or, hey, I want to read through the Gospel of John this summer. Will you read it with me? Goodness gracious. Will we point one another to the Savior of the world? All of us desperately need him. And so to that point, will you yourself worship him? Every other object of worship will let you down. I am certain your spouse is great. I have no doubt that you are wonderful at your job. Your kids sure are cute, but they make crummy gods. They will let you down, they will fail you, and they will leave you searching for something lasting. That search can only be resolved in Jesus Christ. So will you acknowledge that you too are sinful, that you too are foolish, and that you need a savior? Not just to add on to your life for something fun to do on Sunday morning, so we got good coffee creamer, but as the central focus of your life. Turn to God whose steadfast love never ceases, whose mercies never come to an end, and whose faithfulness is great pray to him now father we confess to you that we have minimized sin our own sin the sin in our children we have passed it off as they'll grow out of it it's just foolishness isn't it kind of funny but God, you take no such view of sin. Sin is an affront to you. It separates us from you. And it rightly and justly leads to our eternal condemnation. And yet, in your great love, you have extended an offer of salvation to all of us. Through Christ, we have hope to overcome our sin, not by our own effort, but by his completed and perfect work on the cross. So, Father, for my brothers and sisters in Christ here, we praise you for the gift that you've given to us of Jesus, of salvation. For those here who have not yet received that, Father, I beg that you would open their hearts to that that we, you will have used even one of my rambling words to penetrate penetrated their hearts, that they would recognize their need for you and that their souls would be warmed towards your love, grace, and mercy. Father, we need you when it comes to parenting. We need you when it comes to life. So we thank you that you have promised to be near, to make us into the image of Christ to give us new hearts that we might live for you and for your glory. Lord, make that true of every person here today, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon audio from Potomac Heights Baptist Church. Please feel free to make copies of this audio to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission from Potomac Heights Baptist Church.